Today, we close out our Summer Inspiration series where we've been looking back at some of Kindred Cast's most exhilarating moments. And what better way to wrap things up than with New York Times op-ed columnist and best-selling author David Brooks. Liontree CEO Arya Borkoff spoke to him on the eve of the release of his latest book, The Second Mountain, The Quest for a Moral Life. And David laid bare the impetus behind what has become his newest bestseller. To hear the full show, check out episode 50. Also, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast so you never miss a new episode when we return in the fall. I'm honored to be sitting here with David Brooks, who is the award-winning New York Times op-ed columnist and also the author of one of my favorite books, The Road to Character. It's been a source of a lot of life lessons for me as I have built my life, my family, my career here at Lion Tree, and I, I really appreciate your sitting with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure, and thank you for the kind words about the book. It meant a lot to me to write it. I miss that book. It was fun to write that book, so I miss working on that. But you actually say in the manuscript that I read for a forthcoming book that you have coming out in April called The Second Mountain, The Quest for a Moral Life, that the road to character left you satiated but a bit unsatisfied, right. and it approached this next book. So tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, so the road to character was about the core idea in that book was the difference between the resume virtues and the eulogy virtues. And the resume virtues are the things that make us good at our job, and the eulogy virtues are the things they say about us after we're dead, right. whether honorable, courageous, capable of great love. And we all know the eulogy virtues are more important, but we tend to pay more attention right. to the resume. And so like, how do you build up those eulogy virtues? And the core argument of the book was that you figure out what's your key weakness and you combat it. So if for Dwight Eisenhower was one of the characters in the book, it was anger. He was just an angry guy, a lot of hatred, a lot of passion. And he worked on that every day to be a cheerful leader, an optimistic leader. And he really worked for him. He built a new personality. And I think that is part of character development. But going through stuff in my own life and you learn more, I came to think that book was too individualistic, that most of the what we do and the way we form our character is by our giving ourselves away to others. And it's not paying attention to ourselves and the internal drama in ourselves, but by simply giving away ourselves to others. Be and, more selfless. Yeah. And, and But I mean that not just being selfless, but making specific commitments to specific things. So for example, my kid, I have a son named Joshua. He was born many years ago now. But when he was born, he had a super low APGAR score. We didn't know what was going to happen to the kid. And so that first night was very scary. I remember asking, suppose he doesn't live out the night, will it have been worth it for his mother and I to have a lifetime of grief? And before a kid, I would have thought, no way. He would not even aware of his life for 30 minutes or whatever. But after he's born, you, you get sucked into a commitment that you didn't even know was possible. Right. And so you want to be there for the kid. You want to do things for him, take him out for a walk. And you suddenly become, because you're captured by a commitment, you become a slightly better person over time. That's right. what parenting does. Right. So before we get to the second mountain, let's talk about the first mountain. And you are very prophetic when it comes to the stages of life. And this first mountain we can all identify with because we're building. We, we leave school, university, you come out of school, you build a life for yourself, you build a family, you build a career, you try to excel at that career. Right. We know so many high achievers. And then you start to think about things in the sense of like, well, where's that really going to take me? Yeah. And you get to a point in your life where you hit a valley. And I'm articulating your thesis. And that valley can be personal, midlife crisis, so to speak. It could be professional. It could be societal. Right. And I can't think of a better time right now than today where we're hitting the valley in so many ways. Like, 
What's the political system look like, really? This is tough. Everyone wakes up with a bit of a heaviness. What's the media industry look like? It's all transforming. What do the technology platforms really stand for? What's our society really about? And so I feel like we're in this valley. So obviously you've timed the book perfectly. Yeah. Am I getting it correct? I, I was wondering how it would feel, but I think the timing is pretty good. Probably, you know, even the Michael Cohen hearings, people are like, first on a political level, where's our political system going? On a social level, you know, the rise of suicides, the rise of opiate addiction, the lies of loneliness and distrust, rising mental health problems. And then just, as you say, people just feel heavy, the lack of trust in our institutions. And I think as a member of a media institution, you know the industry better than I do, but we struggle with getting people to trust us so we're not fake news. And so just this tide of alienation. And I think, you know, one of the lessons of the book is when you're in a tough time, you're either broken or you're broken open. And if you're broken, you turn scared and angry and bitter. There's a phrase I love, pain that is not transformed is transmitted. So if you don't know what to do with your own pain, you tend to pass it along to somebody. Project. Yeah. But when you're broken open, then you go deeper into yourself and you realize what's at the core of yourself, which in the book is your heart and your soul, your desire to attach to other people and your desire to attach to an ideal. And you realize those are the desires are the most important desires. And you say my first mountain was great. I'm not against first mountains, but I found something better. And I'm going to have a second mountain. And that second mountain, when you start to climb out of the valley onto that second mountain, that really dictates where you're going to end up, not where you came from. And it dictates the sort of transcendent ideas and ideals that you really stand by. It's challenging. I mean, is it too late to start that second mountain or is it too early? Or what part of your life do you really begin that journey? I think it's never too late or too early. You know, I... I, uh, about to meet a guy uh, tomorrow whose dad was killed by his mistress when the kid was nine. Huh. And so he went to play football at Georgetown, and now he creates summer camps so young African-American men will have father figures, which he did not have. And so for him, you would say the Valley was at age nine. And other people, it's in their 80s. I have a friend, she owns a business, I shouldn't say. She has a lot of farms in Central Valley of California, and she has built a great business. But her joy now is creating daycare centers for the people who work in her farms and fighting diabetes among that community, building healthcare systems. And so it's not like she's left her business. She's still at her business, but her passion, when her eyes light up, it's about giving back, not about acquiring. Right. Right. Do you feel like there's a catalyst that takes you from the first mound to the second mound, or does it happen just naturally? Well, it happens in a lot of different ways. Some people, they just achieve success, and it's just kind of unsatisfying. I met a guy in Kentucky recently who's a banker, very successful, and just didn't get him his juices going in the morning. That's shocking to me. <laughs> <laughs> and so now he uh, helps men come out of prison, helps them transition out. And then he, again, his eyes light up. The good thing about Second Mountain people is they're completely joyful. Was this book personal? Much more personal. There's a lot of personal stuff in it. And I, I sort of felt if I'm telling people to connect on a deep level, I have to be honest. Yeah. And how do you, we build trust? It's through vulnerability. The early drafts were not, and my friends and wife said, no, you can't. You got to live it. You got to walk it. Right. So I was a lot more personal than I was comfortable with. But I found people appreciate it because in my life, I'm in my job. I'm at the Gray Lady. I'm at a newspaper that is somewhat stiff and formal. And to just show I'm just a, another poor, broken bastard like everybody <laughs> else is a useful thing for people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's your advice to a lot of the executives that listen into our Kindred Cast podcast, which are in the media industry, the technology industry, they're investors, they're trying to innovate and they're trying to grow all the time. And there are various ages and different positions in their careers. So what's your best advice to them? Yeah, I would say the two things to look out for are the aesthetic life, 
which is treating life as just a series of experiences that don't add up to anything. And then the other is what somebody called the insecure overachiever, that you've got a problem in the foundation of your life. You don't know why you're doing this. So you try to build a magic story up on top of the building, but the problem's down in the foundation. And sooner or later, that will bite you in the ass. Yeah. And so be aware of that. And then the second thing, the second mountain life is a committed life. And our lives are defined by our four big commitments in life for most of us. It's a spouse and family, a vocation, a philosophy or faith, and a community. And so burying yourself and making those commitments maximal commitments. There's a joke you remind me of that has a, a businessman driving around Los Angeles, which is obviously notoriously famous for its lack of parking spaces, and really going to the most important meeting of his or her life. And they're late because they can't find a parking space. And it's like five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. At this point, the person's sweating, waiting for this parking space. And finally, he has no other choice but to look up to God and say, God, if you help me find a parking space right now, I will obey all of your rituals. I will obey all of your structures. I will be the most loyal servant on earth here. Please, I just need a parking space. Just then he looks down and a parking space appears. He looks up and he says, never mind, I found one. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's pride. That's the fine. original human condition. So these perspectives are fleeting sometimes. Right, right? Yeah. In the moment you need the book or in the moment you need the lesson, it's right there for you and speaking yeah. to you. But then like things get joyful. And you put all those things aside. Right. And so how do you keep that perspective as you it's go? It's yeah. a daily thing. Like I write about this, how don't get obsessed with your career. My column comes out Tuesday, Friday. I check to see if I'm at the top of the most red lifts. Right. And I feel horrible. If I am, <laughs> it's like no joy at all. If I'm not, I'm like, oh, that column must have stunk. <laughs> and so we've got all these data we try to. And it really is better to say it's not about me. I'm just going to do the best column I can, and then it's not about me. Yeah. But that is just a daily struggle. Yeah. Uh, Life has a way of bringing us to equilibrium, right? You right. can't live in the highs or live in the lows. So you have to find your own path, effectively, yeah. and be truthful. Yeah. And I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of years traveling around the country just meeting people who are genuinely selfless, who serve their life to their community, their servant leaders at work. And they radiate a joy that just lifts you up and makes you feel, well, I'll, I'll be a lot more like them. So I find surrounding oneself with people you want to be like, is just crucial. And the last point I'll make is a, this leadership concept, which is in a lot of cases designed like the Egyptian pyramid structure, where you have the masses of people there to serve the leader at the point at the top of the pyramid. But in reality, the inverse is true, where the leader is sitting really at the bottom and supporting a scaled company right. and serving that company and all of its employees. Yeah. And that's really the better perspective of everything, if you can do it. Right. If you don't love serving other people, you won't enjoy leadership. And I've only begun to manage, but it's really like, how can I make them shine? How can I make them shine? And how can I speak last at the meeting? That kind of thing. <laughs> Thanks, David. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Feel free to leave a review there as it helps people find the show. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at KindredCast for behind the scenes photos and info. Keep listening and see you next time. Audiation.